0: I'm Marin Miller.
1: And I'm Gretchen Baglios.
0: And this is I'll Meet You There podcast.
1: Hey, hey. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back.
0: Welcome to episode two. Dun, da, da, da. Trying it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just doing this podcast thing.
1: So, um, let's do a check-in. Yeah. How about, let's use the compass. Um, Mm -hmm. We introduced this tool in our first episode. Four quadrants, believing, thinking, feeling, and acting. And, Lauren, why don't you just check in, where are you today, and locate yourself on the compass. Ooh,
0: I am feeling pretty centered today, now that I am thinking about it. Um, I'm feeling, because I'm excited to catch up with you and talk to you today. It's our birthday, everybody. <laughs> it's my birthday. Happy know. birthday. <laughs> um, I was feeling a lot this weekend um, with uh, news of a, a student past or a previous student of mine passing, um, and just really kind of feeling stuck in general around um, a business that I'm trying to grow and just trying to ne- continue to network and. and keep my feet to the ground here in Colorado where I moved, I moved here a year ago from Minnesota, um, and have a dream to be my own boss and have my own business in coaching and, um, but also really interested in, in Reiki healing that I've stepped into and been reading this incredible book called The Grandmother's Hand, My Grandmother's Hands, um, by Risma, I'm not gonna say his last name correctly, and it's like putting everything together that I believe and think and have been feeling about in terms of just what needs to be done around for people in general around race and like yeah. the first understanding of race and how hard that can be and like, and just this idea that even white people have trauma from the Middle Ages from from what white people did to other white people, but then it turned into what white people did to black and brown and indigenous bodies. And so that got me in my thinking and believing a lot this weekend as well. Um, So I'm just kind of carrying that through this week. Today I worked at the restaurant and just pretty slow and um, just feel centered. Like I got to do my workout and, and just had kind of a a solid day of eating well and getting enough sleep and um, just excited to be doing this podcast and recording with you today.
1: Thanks, Mark. How about you?
0: Um, Yeah, where are you at?
1: I am, well, I'm in my feeling quadrant, I'm feeling, it's my birthday, so I'm 35 and um, I'm feeling old. <laughs> That's a belief, actually. I believe that I'm old. Um, I just noticed it this morning. I'm like, okay, what does 35 feel like compared to 25? And Yeah, I get up in the morning and I'm sore in places. Like, I can pretty much count on being sore in the same places. Um, <laughs> I also... <laughs> I feel a bit wiser. Um, I believe I've grown wiser in my teaching practice since I was 25. Um, (laughs) I noticed that today. Today was not an easy day of teaching. Um, Kids were just really wound up. It's a Thursday, which is always a lot of high energy, a lot of um, emotions flying around. And so I just notice when I see kids doing you know what kids who are 12 and 13 and 14 do which is be loud and have energy and be funny and be messy and be rude um yeah. I can look at them and be like yeah and you're 14 like <laughs> this is part of you developmentally <laughs> it's like you're just a mix of all those things so I think that I believe that I'm wiser at 35 um <laughs> I also feel um, I feel sleepy. I haven't had a chance to get a good night's sleep in the last few nights, and there's some stuff that's still sitting in my head that I haven't processed yet. Um, so I feel this heaviness. Like I just saw Black Klansmen for the first time on Tuesday night, and have been listening to some different perspectives on that, and. I left that movie just really sad. Um, the last few scenes just brought me brought me to new I wouldn't say anything was new, but just the way that um, Spike Lee put things together um, had a had a big like a hit in my gut at the end of the movie. So I I haven't processed that yet, and it feels heavy to me, Um, and I know I need to make some time to do that on my own, and then with some some other folks. Um, And I'm also excited, because after we record today, I'm going over to my sweetie's house, and he and the kids are making me my birthday dinner, so (laughs) I'm excited to see, they're like, we're making your favorite things, which what they know of my favorite things I'm sure it's going to be a lot of like green stuff <laughs> so I'm excited um, Yeah, I'm not feeling very centered I'm really just I feel very reactive right now um, part of that's I've had a lot of coffee and I'm not very well rested so yeah but I'm, I'm, I'm okay Like, <laughs> just where I'm at
0: Mm
1: -hmm. all right so um listeners just a reminder the compass is a tool to locate where you enter and to ask others where they are entering and then to do some work around what what other parts of the compass you could use to get centered so just when I'm sharing out I'm not in my I'm not in my acting quadrant a lot right now and I know that I need Mm -hmm. to take some time to process my emotions and my beliefs around the movie I saw on Tuesday before I can feel actionable around that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's just an example. Um, Something else we want to add as part of our regular opening is just what's been on your mind and heart since last time. So Mm. as white women practicing, Learning new patterns of how to show up as racialized beings, um, Marin and I are going to be modeling what it means to revisit a conversation. So, what revisiting has allowed me to do is times when I've shut people down in conversations about race, when I've left the conversation and later thought, ugh. I, I said this, and this was my intent, but the words that came out of my mouth didn't make space for any dialogue, now I feel ashamed or indignant about what I've said, and I can't go back. Um, Mm -hmm. So revisiting a conversation has just opened up a different possibility for me, if I say something that... I'm thinking about it still in my heart. Like, I really could have said that differently. I could have used different words. I could have taken some more time before what I spoke what came out of my mouth. Um, it allows me to go back and say, hey, I've been thinking since last time. And here's what I think about what I said. And I, And I would like to revisit the conversation if you're open to it. Mara, what does revisiting look like for you?
0: Um, in a conversation. Yeah, I. About. In about race, I just. Yeah, I mean, this. It's such a simple thing, but the permission of it has been and is life changing for a white uh, German Norwegian <laughs> woman from Minnesota um, who grew up in passive aggression and like really and you know just this kind of patterning of um, stuffing like we're just that has passed we're going to move on and and we're not going to take we're not going to bring it back up Mm. sort of thing you know not necessarily about race but just in general and family and friends so that became something that I carried with me um, and so when talking about race or anything hard it's still something I get stuck in in terms of like speaking up when um, I feel like there is something that needs to be returned to um, but it has definitely for me um, been useful to to know that I can Take a deep breath. I can go for a walk. I can journal. I can do certain things to get myself centered or to get myself grounded and really, um, kind of process maybe what has happened in a in a moment or in a situation, um, and uh, and come back and be the vulnerable human uh, that that I believe that I, you know, try to be, um, and, uh, and be able to apologize or be able to like, you know, ask, how did that land on you or where, you know, just, it opens up so much more possibility. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about contraction versus expansion. And, mm. and this is something that really, like, like what another tool we're going to introduce today it re- uh, really really um, opens other avenues and opportunities versus closing and keeping silent and just moving on without really dealing with or being mindful of maybe what what harm or impact has been made mm-hmm. depending on the situation.
1: Mm-hmm. So, For you, um, is there anything that's been on your heart or your mind since last, since our first recording um, (laughs) that you want to revisit?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, first it's just, you know, we're getting our legs on this and trying to figure out the format and the sound. And so it's just like, it's, and it's for me awkward. You know, I've heard a lot of people say it, but hurt awkward to hear my own voice. And <laughs> our beginning was awkward of who's going to say what and, like, saying pr- pronouns and all of that. Um, but when I was listening to it, um, I didn't realize um, at the very end I was discussing our relationship. And I used the word crazy. And when I heard myself say that in the podcast, that was something that I was like, ooh, hmm. That doesn't land well on me because it's something that, um, in the, um, the camp that I was at this summer, it was something that was brought my to my attention of the, these the words that are used around, um, mental health, and, um, just as someone who tries to be, conscious and of words that I'm utilizing, I wish I had said bananas or something, something different than crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I posted an article, um, in our notes for our first episode to share a little more about that. But yeah, that was, that was one thing I was like, Ooh,
1: okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for bringing that. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you're, if you're listening and, and want to know more about that, um, everything that we talk about, I'm making a little plug here um, will be outlined on our website. So mm-hmm. the compass and the four agreements, as well as an outline of our discussion from last week or last time, is on um, what's the name of the podcast mark?
0: I'll meet you there, podcast. Um, and it's right now we're on a Weebly site. so okay. it's I'll meet you there podcast weebly com..
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that article, is linked yes. as well. Okay. Correct. Um, two things for me, just in revisiting our conversation, and it's so helpful to go back and listen again. That's just not, there's not something I'm in the habit of doing, is recording my conversations and hearing them back. Um, yeah. So one thing was just, I wanted to give listeners an opportunity to hear Glenn Singleton's definition of a courageous conversation because we talk about that um, and just want to bring that up um, that a courageous conversation is utilizing the agreements the conditions and the compass to engage sustain and deepen interracial and intraracial dialogue about race so a courageous conversation is not me as a white woman talking to my black female friend about something not related to race. So, like, mm-hmm. I, um, this was brought to my attention and when I was doing my own reflecting on um, a friend who I grew up with who identified as biracial, presented as black, um, and I spent many years with this close friend. She was a neighbor, and we went to the same school. And so when I started doing my own racial identity work, I thought, well, yeah, I've been having these courageous conversations because I thought about my friend who I grew up with. And then I realized like, oh, we, we talked about things at school. We talked about our families, our pets, our homework, our dreams, but we never talked about our racial identity or about race. And so I want to say that just to say it it wasn't me doing the work to say, I have a black friend, um, but it would have deepened our conversation and I'm imagining it would have deepened our relationship had we opened Mm -hmm. that, that component to say, Hey, like we are both seventh grade girls (laughs) and what's your experience like being a black girl here in the school? What's my experience like being a white girl here? Um, and been able to share about that. So, just want to offer that definition um, and also the point in there that a courageous conversation can be, like I said, intra racial, which means like what you and I are doing, Maren. Um, mm-hmm. We're both seen and believed and identify as white. And so, when we talk about what it means to be white, we're having a courageous conversation and we're using mm. the protocol, which is the compass and the agreements. We will introduce the conditions as we go through the podcast, and it can also be a conversation between people who identify different, differently as far as their race. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just one piece I wanted to add, and then another piece just worth revisiting, something to consider. Um, I was processing our first recording with my partner, and he shared... Just that when he, when he heard the question that we asked last time, who are you indebted to? Just that that word, so much power in language. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how you're saying, you're reflecting on the word crazy. I've been reflecting on the word indebted and just what it can mean as far as racially who mm. who finds themselves in positions of debt and what goes along with that in terms of owing someone something and mm possibly being unable to get out of debt, possibly having a be generational debt. Um, and so when I heard his take on that, I thought, okay, what what word for me more accurately describes what it is we were exploring in terms of who are you indebted to in terms of doing racial equity work? Um, but I think for me, it's, it's almost like who have my teachers been, Yeah. um, whether I've called them that or not. And my teachers also, what teachings have I taken on so that I want to put action behind it? So it's not enough to just say, I'm so grateful to my coach, Tanisha, because she worked me through this, this, and this. I'm grateful to her so much that I feel compelled to act yeah. Um, based on what she helped me learn so I just want to offer that as well if that works better for you instead of indebted just thinking about who have your teachers been or what motivates you to act or stay actionable when it comes to your own racial equity work um, who would that be what's your reason or who <laughs> is your reason So I just want to add that. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: And remember the question we um, discussed as well, and something to always consider, you know, always thinking about and utilizing the compass. Where am I at on the compass, and what might I need to do to get centered? But also um, we had talked about which agreement are you living the most? Mm -hmm. And so... If you are just tuning in with us um, for the second episode or if you – just for a little reminder, um, that's something also to go back and, and maybe even journal mm-hmm. tonight with. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Okay. righty. All right. Tools. We've got some
0: more. Woo! We got another tool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like I just shared, we have the compass that we're going to just keep using as a check-in, I think. And always when we're having conversations thinking about the agreements, speak your truth, experience discomfort, expect and accept non-closure, and stay engaged are the four agreements part of the protocol. Um, and another piece to this is mindful inquiry. So all these kind of layer together on top of each other. And, um, Le Menois is the one who created Mindful Inquiry. Um, he has a website called Stir Fry Seminars. Um, and he does seminars in Berkeley, California, which you've done, right? You've done the five-day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. hope to get myself there. Um, and so, when you are in a courageous conversation, or for me, any conversation, um, this tool is really helpful. Basically, it's staying open and having and and furthering a conversation with open-ended questions. Um, Le Monnois has nine healthy ways to communicate, and the first two are reflect back what is being said use their words not not yours so really trying to deeply listen and and that would go with his first prompt which is what I hear you say was or what I heard you say was Um, and what I love about this is it's so counter to what me what I personally was taught in terms of communication and what I have noticed so much more now that I've been introduced and utilized mindful inquiry and open-ended questions is how often it's a pattern of when you're just in a general conversation or meeting new people that people are listening to respond. They're listening in order to insert their own answer or, or trying to find, I mean, it's good intention, like trying to find a connection, right. Mm -hmm. But, but, but eventually basically steamroll a conversation. There's no deepening. It's just, I can't wait to share what I have to share. And then I'm just Mm going to take over instead of listen and ask questions and, and understand really where you. Where and why and how, you the person I'm in conversation with, is feeling and how that impacts them. Um, it's a hard thing to switch into, but it's so beautiful mm-hmm. when when you experience or when I've experienced it. Can we do um, an
1: example
0: real quick? Yeah, of course.
1: Um, Marin so I'll do the mm-hmm. I'll do the typical way first. I'll do okay. the not mindful way. Okay. <laughs> Maren, where were you born?
0: I was born in Minnesota.
1: Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> okay. First, that's not true for me, but <laughs> <laughs> even though I might be really excited because I hear something we might have in common, yeah. I've just Shifted it and now it's on me. Yeah. Martin, right, where were you born?
0: I was born in Plymouth, Minnesota.
1: Oh my god, I lived there for 15 years. I hated the winters. How did you <laughs> stand it? <sighs> That is true.
0: (laughs) That is true for you. And I love winter. Uh So but not not the intense winters. That's part of why I moved to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Kind of was kind of tired of the real intense stuff. But I love winter.
1: (laughs) So again, even in my response to you, I've taken it Uh, put my own beliefs and opinions on it. Something you've shared. And especially because you offered it. I love winter. You love winter. If I jump straight in to say something about my own belief and it doesn't align with yours, then why would you trust me enough to keep sharing?
0: Yeah, there's just, like, there was a feeling, like, even though I know this is an example, there's, like, this gut punch of, like, judgment Mm -hmm. and shame. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, no, Minnesota's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it definitely... Changes the dynamic in in that moment.
1: Mm -hmm. So, mindfully, using mindful inquiry, Martin, where were you born?
0: I was born in Plymouth, Minnesota.
1: Oh. I heard you say Plymouth, Minnesota. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Tell me more about that. Actually, Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I grew up in Plymouth.
1: Okay. Tell me more about...
0: Plymouth, Minnesota. Uh, it is a suburb of the Twin Cities, a western suburb of the Twin Cities, about a half hour drive um, anywhere in the metro area. And we went to Wayzata High School. A lot of people called us cake eaters. <laughs> we were very... I was in a very privileged white suburban bubble. <laughs>
1: mm. So it's just a basic example of using an open-ended response when someone shares instead of trying to find agreement or offering a perspective from my experience. Mm. So that other piece that I added there was tell me more, um, which – it's really open to the listener, I believe, um, as Maren is sharing. If we were face-to-face, I might watch for something that her eyes light up when she says something, or she looks away, or she crosses her hands over her chest. And um, I believe that physically we say a lot, <laughs> and, it's some, yeah. and it often doesn't match what's coming out of our mouths. And so if Maren's eyes light up when she says, Minnesota... I will probably go with that. Tell me more about Minnesota. <laughs> um, and then in doing that, I'm really just walking with her instead of steering her. Um, so we're going to apply these tools to our question for today. Um, our big question for today. Obviously, where were you born? Um, there's a lot there. And in conversations about race, if, if mindful inquiry and communication are not happening, I know that for me it becomes a debate or a who's right, who's wrong. Yeah. It's very binary. Um, yeah. Or it could easily be a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who it is. Right? Yes. <laughs> talk About white men in a later episode. No. <laughs> yeah. Looking
0: at you, white men. We we'll love
1: you, and
0: we'll talk about you.
1: Yes, um, will talk about you. Later. Okay. <laughs> so.
0: Uh, yeah, and the, so the second healthy way to communicate is begin where they are, not where you want them to be. And also, just, yeah, I mean, that was a, a fairly you know, surface level question that we did as an example, but envisioning what, what this might look like when we're talking about something so deeply personal and hard as race, right? Like just trying to meet people where they're at and really deeply listening to understand. Mm -hmm. Woo. It's a new thing. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. Um, You want to kick it off with the question?
0: Sure, sure. So our question for today is, what holds you back from talking about race as a white woman?
1: Write it down, listeners.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're doing this too. (laughs) What holds you back from talking about race as a white woman?
1: All right. Um, Lots of things hold me back from talking about race as a white woman. Um, The first that comes to mind is a belief in this a belief that I'm not good enough. Um, Mm -hmm. A belief that Unless I can say the exact right, perfect, researched thing that I don't have enough to give, um, that I don't have enough to say something about race, especially I'm thinking about any situation I could be in where I notice racism and I know it's happening or I see my own racism and I'm not bringing it into the conversation it is obvious Mm. to me but I'm not naming it um so my own beliefs about my own worth get in the way of me Mm. talking about it um and so with that too I that's tied to me being white I'm white so how could I know I'm white so how could I say this And another, and another thing that has prevented me from talking about race has been, I, th- I think it's another fear, um, a fear of being told that I'm too much of something. And when I was little, um, bringing ideas, I won't, I don't believe I was naming issues of race and racism, but I definitely was naming things about injustice. And I remember my family, um, telling me I was too sensitive. Um, and so over time I, you know, when they say you're too sensitive, I'm hearing, and that's not a good thing is implied. Um, so it made me second guess. Okay, my gut is telling me this. My beliefs are telling me this is wrong. And I've also had the experience of when I speak up about it, I've I've been told that's not, that's too much. You're too sensitive. (laughs) Um, Later on, that developed in my first marriage into you're too intense. You're too honest. Um, Because... I was married was married to a white man, and we hung out in mostly white circles. And this was in a place in my life when my racial consciousness was deepening, and I would often, I felt like I was living in two worlds, my professional and my personal world, and I would be talking about race and naming race and racism at school, and then I would come home, and it would be so glaringly obvious to me some things, and bringing it up um, prompted my my first husband um to say you know why why do you have to be so intense why do you have to be so honest you make everyone feel so uncomfortable um so a fear a fear has prevented me from talking about race that I will be too and then fill in whatever undesirable word comes after that
0: Mm. Gretchen, what I heard you say was that what holds you back from talking about race as a white woman is fear of not knowing enough, fear of maybe saying it wrong or doing it wrong, but also eventually being told what you're saying or doing was too much or too sensitive, and you were to- you were given or, or told certain stories about yourself that maybe come up in conversations around race. Did I get that right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there more, or can you tell me more? Um. Will you tell me more
1: about which part? Any of it. Um. Yeah, I think as as you said, I've been told stories about myself, and I've come to believe them. Or there's a place, there's a place in my beliefs that I still. Yeah yeah I'm too honest I'm too this um, and I believe also that that is systemic racism doing its work on me as a white woman to say to make me self doubt when I yeah. when I notice injustice uh, when I notice racism when I notice that race isn't being talked about but it's right there like we keep using coded language to talk about our students of color, like low-income students, free and reduced lunch, but we're never saying racially who we're talking about. Um, And there's been times in meetings when I've just let that slide because I fear that if I bring it up, I won't have what it takes to back it up. I fear... Being ousted, oh, Gretchen brought that up. Now we can't talk to her anymore, or I'm losing yeah. relationships. Um, and as I'm saying that, it's not the only thing I believe. <laughs> I also believe I need to bring it up. I also believe I'm naming some of the discomfort I'm going to feel as a white woman when I start to talk about this. And I want to, I also believe it's only discomfort that I would experience. I don't believe I'm going to bring up race and be physically harmed. Um, And I, and I say that because I also start to get into my thinking quadrant about the sense of safety that I typically experience in work and professional spaces, um, work and personal spaces. And, as I'm talking through it, it just, it makes me, now I'm there. Now I'm in my acting quadrant of, like, it's it's not okay to, to not speak up because really what I fear is discomfort. And I can work around yeah. my discomfort. I can live in my discomfort. Um, but, yeah, that fear and that those stories and the, the fear comes out as I'm not good enough or I won't be liked or I won't get this right. So I'm going to stay silent. How about you? What holds you back from talking about race as a white woman?
0: For me, what holds me back from talking about race as a white woman is most definitely fear. Um, this is... And for me, I for any of y'all Enneagram lovers, I'm a two on the Enneagram. I'm a helper. And um, my drive, what drives me, is relationship and to be loved and to be liked. And I see how that's becomes debilitating for me in many ways when there is race needing to be talked about or or called out or um, and when I first started, you know, for lack of better words, this this journey of consciousness or understanding systems on a on a much grander level. I was more angry and wanted everybody in my life to, to be thinking about this and knowing about this and wanting to do something about this. And so for me, my experience also was similar um, in terms of just like feeling like I was too much. People telling me I was, too angry in the posts that I was putting on Facebook or, you know, when I was trying to even have conversations about it with my family. Oh, does everything have to be about this? And just a lot of um, resistance that I wasn't ready for, I guess, in a sense. And as a white person, because I've lived in this, swam in this, breathed this in, I also just, my body does, it is not, you know, does not have the capacity sometimes to be as resilient as I, I know I need to continue to work to try and be. <laughs> and that's part of what I feel is so powerful and important for white people to, to at least start this and start thinking about it is, and again, I'm going to name the book, my, my, my grandmother's hams. Um, I'm going to see, look up his name, Risma Menachem Um, it's called, it says, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. And it's just, so much of this is in our body. And he, he talks about, you know, what we're seeing with um, police and and the murdering of, of black and brown and indigenous bodies is there's trauma that pops up, right? There's this implicit bias. There's unconscious stuff that bo- pops up. And in split seconds, it's a life or death situation. Um, and... It's fear in white bodies, and in me, I have, I have, um, thinking of like what white supremacy culture looks like. There's this idea of right to comfort, and that's such a real thing. Like I don't like to be uncomfortable, mm. <laughs> and I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Again, I I've grown up in a in a culture where we don't do that. And if if I'm uncomfortable, I certainly am not going to speak up and say and share my feelings or my emotions or how I'm feeling. I'm that's really not okay. So there's a lot to chip away at. Um, what holds me back is also this idea of of right or wrong. This that I there's a right way to do it and there's a and I need to have it perfect as well. I need to have, I need to have all the information. I need to have read all of the books. I need to have been to all of the different um, events and conferences, you know, like I, and I crave that. I want all uh, to continue to be a learner and to, to take in multiple perspectives because there's still a lot that I have to unpack about all other different parts of my identities, whether it's about being an able-bodied person, a cisgendered person, like there's, it's not, you know, there's all this intersectionality, but race is definitely what the key to it all. Um, because I walk around with this white skin every day, so my my experience the world that way first first and foremost. Um, yeah, fear. Um, just it's every day I work at a restaurant. Like there's so many little things that like I, I could be saying, you know, and oh, what a what a killjoy she is. What a you know. Mm. And sometimes I just don't say anything, and people are like, You're hard to read. It's like, You don't even want to know what I'm thinking. Uh, And that's been, you know, it's been a struggle and and just an internal thing that I have to keep thinking and wrestling about. You know, I've moved to a new place, and so I'm also trying to network and meet new people. And, (laughs) And there are pockets here of people who are able to hear and, and, and also have language to talk about what I want to talk about, but there's still pockets like everywhere in the United States where that's just not the case and there's some code switching in that too of and there are moments where I I choose silence for comfort. I choose silence because of fear. Um and yet I still keep trying. Um, but yeah, I think those are the fear for me is a huge one for sure. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what I heard you say was that when you don't talk about race as a white woman, it's tied to fear. Um, sounds like and it comes out in different ways. Um, want to be loved, you want to be liked, Um, that you don't want to make others uncomfortable and be uncomfortable Mm. yourself, Mm. and that idea of I have to get this right if I'm going to say something, because if it's not right, it's wrong, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I also heard you say I'm certainly not going to speak up, I'm not going to say my emotions because of what that might cause. Mm. Will you tell me more about that, about that belief?
0: That if I say something, I might cause something. Mm hmm. Yeah, I just I think it's that whole thing of comfortability that I think has. I mean, I was taught as a white person, but also just in my own family dynamics. Like, there's fear of sharing truth and emotions and and feelings. Uh, In order to keep everybody else in in the room comfortable, as a woman. Um, And so, it's such my default that to—I'm so grateful for the compass and grateful for these tools. And grateful for all the moments that I have, you know, gone straight into my feelings and acted and and maybe said or done stuff that I I feel maybe I I could have done differently. But I had the tools and like, nope, I can get centered and go back. Um, It's just... for a long, for a long time, if I got triggered, if I, if my body reacted, like my heart pounds and my stomach starts hurting, or you know, and and I, I just feel that freeze, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I get red, like that used to just, me- I would just melt and I would be nothing. I would be no, not useful at all. And that's still in certain situations. It depends on what it is. I haven't experienced that in a long time. I experienced that a lot. Just. Teaching middle school, of just like, there's so much that I can't do and support in this situation. Um, but I think that's what I, I, I love about this the, the grandmother's hands books of that. This is the work that needs to be done, though, of like regulating our bodies, moving through energy and trauma, and just really how can we be calm bodies <laughs> to go out and do. The hard work that needs to be done.
1: Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I also hear this is my own coach would say to me, do your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is the kind of work that she
0: meant—getting
1: um, mm-hmm. really curious and really honest about why I do and why I don't do yeah. anti-racism work. And
0: every day, every moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so before I'm talking about like what action I'm taking, like can I name what gets in the way of me yeah. being my most actionable self? So, um, that's a question if you want to process it before next time. Yeah. And keep adding to it.
0: (laughs) Keep coming back to it. Uh, I mean, (laughs) that one never goes away. (laughs) Like all of this. This is work, (laughs) lifetime work. (laughs) Never goes away.
1: All right, let's close it out. All right.
0: Yeah, I um, think we did it.
1: I'll start. Appreciations. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I want to appreciate, I want to appreciate Tanisha. <laughs> um, Tanisha Abdur-Salam is a woman who coached and continues to offer me wisdom and guidance around what it means for me to be a white woman. She told me a lot of hard stuff like three years ago and I didn't want to hear it and I resisted it, Mm. and then I leaned into it um, because I didn't really have a choice because what else? I was leaning into some other stuff, (laughs) but (laughs) when I decided to explore what she was laying in front of me, I found it really transformative, and she's in my heart. When I feel my most powerful, evolved self, I feel her with me, and I appreciate her, love her. I want to appreciate you, Lauren, for just the level of inquiry, and not even mindful inquiry, but all the investigation you're doing with yourself, Um, and I love hearing where you are because I'm always learning something from what you're sharing. And you said, you're, you are always a learner. Um, And I love like whatever your latest Instagram post is with you having a book open. I'm like, Oh, need to read that. Need to read that. So (laughs) I just appreciate the accountability um, and the modeling Mm. that you provide. Like Mm. you're someone that I know when I'm, when I'm struggling with racism and with this issue and with my own internalized white supremacy, that I know you are a soft landing place for me um, as a listener mm. and as a feeler. Um, and I often come to you with stuff before. I've taken my own time to do some work around it. It's a really special gift that you give to me to come to you Mm. unprocessed, (laughs) unfiltered. Mm. So, thank you. Ditto.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I want to appreciate... I want to appreciate you, little Virgo, on your birthday, Sister Soul Queen... Um, you are, you are a Virgo and I am a Pisces. We are so opposite and I just, it still is, I'm still in awe of how it works and we balance each other out in so many ways and I'm just so grateful for you to help keep me grounded but also remind me that I am perfectly imperfect and uh, still on this journey and still deserve space Mm -hmm. and time and process and just to be all that I am. And um, yeah, I just... Happy birthday. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the middle of the 30s. <laughs> just wait till you get to the other side. I'm here, baby, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm so, like, oh yeah, she's 35, sweet! <laughs> oh. Hello. Yeah, and just appreciation to your brother, Nate, who helped us kind of start figuring out this, um sound stuff, and just the, the folks that we have to keep us, keep us just trying it out, keep us doing it.
1: All right, um, I'm going to close with some words from Tanisha, and these words are, she brought these um, to an annual gathering called Summit, with a bunch of people who do this work with Courageous Conversation around the country, around the U.S., and worldwide. Um, When's the next one? Ooh, it's in October. It's in Philly, my home state. Philly's not a state. (laughs) But, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I felt like this was fitting because we're talking about why we don't speak up um, about race. And... The title of Tanisha's poem is She Speaks Her Truth. So I'll close with this. She speaks her truth. The womb awaits. The children await. The ancestors inside of you await. The world is waiting. She speaks her truth. What about you? What will it take for the chains to be removed from your lips, your heart, and your soul? How long must we wait for you to unleash the power that lives within, the truth, your truth, the light, your light? You search outside for the truth you already own. Your truth is paid in full. As the moon moves the ocean, so your truth moves the world. She speaks her truth. What about you? What will it take for you to believe that what you do matters? Oh, but what you say changes the world, moves mountains, heals, delivers, and creates worlds we can only dream. You, my love, are waiting for her to speak her truth, and we are waiting for you.